Hello, and welcome to Uplift, a podcast about the transformative power of design from architecture and design firm NBBJ. I'm your host for today, Andy Snyder. Each week, we chat with people from all over the healthcare continuum who have been deeply affected by the built environment. On today's episode, healthcare institutions face a perfect storm of financial uncertainty, coupled with high demand for care. Factors like shrinking reimbursement, staff shortages, and rising labor costs contribute to thinner margins, yet many systems need to expand to meet increased patient volumes. While the root causes of these issues are multifaceted, the architecture industry can help mitigate financial risk when it comes to the design and construction of hospitals and clinics, something healthcare systems are predicted to spend $45.8 billion on in 2023 alone. To discuss strategies to reduce costs in healthcare construction, I'm joined by Jeff Schroeder, Assistant Vice President of Planning, Design and Construction at Atrium Health, and Ed Trotter, Senior Project Manager, Design and Construction at the Oregon Health and Science University, as well as my NBBJ colleague, Molly Wolf. We'll talk about the current financial climate and how it's impacting the design and construction of healthcare projects, and how measures such as prefabrication, collaboration with consultants, early buyouts, and other methods can help mitigate financial uncertainty. Let's dive in. Jeff, Ed, Molly, thank you so much for being here today. Jeff, you have a long career in healthcare planning and design. Tell us a little about your background and your role with Atrium Health. I've been with Atrium now for four years and almost in this career now, 20 years. I'm a recovering architect and so spent some time in the architecture field a long time ago was with an architecture firm that specialized in healthcare, and that's really what put me into the healthcare arena and it was just something about designing and building things that were not just widgets something that gave back to the community and ed you also have a long career in construction management tell us a little bit about what you do at the oregon health and science university or ohsu for short and what led you there to that role my focus at OHSU is capital projects. I started with the Knight Cancer Research Building, and now we're building a new tower up on the hill, Patient Tower. I'm an engineer by education, but I got into doing construction management in the corrections market, and an opportunity came up to come back to my adopted hometown of Portland and do some more buildings for Portland for a great organization. My mother worked at OHSU. I had a sister that worked at OHSU, and my mother-in-law all worked at OHSU, so kind of uh, continuing a family tradition. That's a neat story. And lastly, Molly, you have a diverse background in design build and other collaborative project delivery methods. Tell us a little bit about your role in NBBJ and the kind of work you're involved in. In my project work, I manage client accounts for some of our large regional health systems and work on projects of all scales from master planning to small renovations to new construction projects. I have an expertise in project delivery, having completed several progressive design build projects, traditional design build, a strong advocate of alternative project delivery that brings multiple stakeholders to the table to work together in collaboration. Thank you all for being here. Let's start by talking about the big picture. And Jeff, maybe I'll start with you. What are some of the big picture financial challenges that you see healthcare organizations grappling with and how are they playing out at Atrium Health? That's a great question. We could probably spend the next 24 hours talking through this. And I think the looming threat potentially of financial uncertainty and maybe of a, a recession, and then you couple it with reduced staff just because of either burnout, whatever it might be, and then the increased cost to bring in travelers 
it's not a recipe for disaster, but it is a recipe that's hard to solve. But then you also have escalation, inflation, those kind of factors uh, that play into it, which is a real, again, it's, it's, a, it's a mathematic equation. It's hard to solve. And it's not just at one of our campuses, if you will. It, it's, a, it's across our system that we're, we're seeing this. And so if expenses are up and the margins are down, then that means capital is going to be affected. And therefore, what you might try to solve with built environment, if you don't have it over here in this hand, you can't do the other. And so both of them need to be solved. Ed, how about you? What are you seeing in the Pacific Northwest? Similar kind of impacts and, and trends or differences? What are, what are your thoughts? We have a, 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 the same thing. I think what our leadership is telling us is our revenue is not protected to keep up with our expenses over the coming years. Reimbursements are not increasing as fast as our expenses. We have the same labor shortage issues. One of the unique things to Oregon is we are literally last in the nation for per capita hospital beds. And OHSU is unique. It's the only academic medical center in Oregon. So we get the really, really sick. So we're literally keeping people in the hallways most nights because we don't have enough bed space. So that makes it really difficult to expand. But the advantage of the expansion is it allows us to distribute some of the costs that don't increase with an expansion. So that's some of the things we're facing. And we obviously, we're having the same nursing issues. Um, I think that's a nationwide, if not international problem with disjuncture, especially with the recent pandemic of, of burnout. So we're certainly struggling with that as well. Yeah, thanks, Ed. It seems like kind of a, a coalescing of challenges here, kind of pandemic, economy, and then issues of staff attrition and kind of staff experience that, that sort of existed before the pandemic that has only been sort of exacerbated now as we sort of hopefully come out of this pandemic we've been experiencing over the last couple of years. Jeff, do you see any impact in terms of patient volumes from the pandemic? Do you see at your sites of care, more volume, less volume, the same, any impact from telehealth that you've noticed that is kind of causing you to think a little bit differently about space and, and capital projects going forward? You know, as the hospitals tried to figure out how to navigate in that space, right, during the beginning of the pandemic, we, we all kind of paused, tried to figure it out. And then we, the administrators who are, as you know, overworked and, and hopefully appreciated, but they figured out how to begin to operate in this space with the COVID pandemic continuing to happen. I would say now that our volumes, there's not a direct correlation right now to the pandemic. I would say with that wave that was caused and that there was some catch up, we've done that. But when I like again talking about it just in the greater Charlotte region, if you will, just the number of people moving here daily is really a, one of our driving components as, as far as the volume. You know, Ed talked about having patients in the hallways. We have the same thing. I believe the term is borders. And I think we have spaces from 40 to 45 spaces. And there's many, many times that you start the day off with more than the 40, 45 boarding spaces, if you will. Molly, you're working with a number of healthcare organizations as well. What are you hearing from those organizations when it comes to issues around rising costs and financial uncertainty? Are any of these issues that we're talking about kind of around delayed care, labor cost, prioritizing capital, revenue streams, are they affecting things like material and construction costs in your view? I'm not sure if those items are related to material and construction cost, but they are top of mind for our clients. I think material and construction cost and inflation and the supply chain issues that we see in construction are just compounding the financial 
uncertainty of the healthcare institutions who need to build. It's just another item on the list that is causing stress and uncertainty. So it's definitely a stressor. But what we are hearing from our clients in a lot of the long-term planning that we're doing is flexibility. They need to be nimble and be able to react to the market in order to provide those revenue-generating services that are so needed to keep their institutions afloat. Of course, some of the financial challenges that healthcare organizations face have less to do with, I'll call it design, quote-unquote, and more to do with operations, reimbursement, regulatory frameworks. But given the scale of construction within healthcare, there are things that designers can do to bring costs down and to help organizations plan for the future. Jeff, before we jump into some of the specifics, I wanted to ask you about reconciling the gap between needs and the costs of of building facilities, which as we've just discussed, that gap seems to be widening. In your view, are, are there aspects of the design and construction process that are more important in this climate? to think about things around collaboration or the way that we all work together to, to do what we do? Yeah, there, there are, Andy. We see it across the nation. We see capital costs is higher. We know you can't go buy a sheet of plywood now than what you used to back in 2018. We see the demand is greater, but supply chain and supply chain challenges, cost of the commodities are higher. We know there's waste in, in construction, design and construction, and trying to be good stewards, when you look at the mathematical equation about how we're somewhat underserving the population, you can't help but want to try to get waste out of the project. And how do you get the waste out of the project? You can't sit back and do what you've always been doing. You have to leverage your partners. We have to try and do more prefabrication. We have to find alternative solutions, materials, et cetera, that, that would hopefully move the needle to the left, if you will, as far as cost, move it down or mitigate the rising cost. Some of it is not necessarily reducing the cost. It's if you can mitigate the rise and the escalation of cost. Ed, what what are your thoughts? I know that in some of your work, the utilization of some lean methodologies and target value design and delivery are, I think, part of, of your work and the way that you work with your teams. Does this resonate with you? I think the first thing from my perspective is a good project starts with a good owner. OHSU is very good at dedicating staff to the project so we can kind of get the right people at the table and make sure we're, we're getting the, the needs and managing the wants because that's the, that's the key thing with controlling cost. And with the level of care we provide in some of our facilities, the wants can get away from you pretty quick. Our last now four or five projects, we've gone with a, a version of an IPD. And to, to Jeff's point, we bring our contractor and our trade partners on board very, very early in the process for a couple of reasons. Most importantly is having the builders help you inform how to design it is absolutely paramount to success in my world. And that really helps. Plus, we eliminate, I believe one of the biggest things is eliminating a lot of duplication of effort. If my plumbing contractor is doing the drawings, then he doesn't have to go redraw them to do shop drawings. He's just doing the drawings. That's what gets priced. That's what we work with. So I think that's one of the, the biggest pieces of it. Target value design certainly helps. I'd like to think of it more as continuous value engineering. If you go to these guys that are, have done this for years and years and ask them to find ways to, to reduce the cost of a project, it's amazing what folks that have been you know building buildings and hospitals for 20 years can come up with. 
And Molly, you know, in your work, you, you mentioned earlier, kind of a lot of your work is around progressive design build and kind of team structures that are oriented toward collaboration and value creation. Are there any areas of the process where you've seen, I'll call it waste or wasted effort and 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 maybe in the introduction of risk around escalation, anything that's creeped in that you feel is an opportunity going forward in terms of thinking about kind of the times we live in and and how to best collaborate and, and get that value in the project? Yeah, I'm a strong believer that the traditional design process, let's call it traditional, the the old school method, there's a lot of waste in that process. I agree very much with Ed that the duplication of efforts is a waste of time and a waste of money, and we can just do it better. So, you know, we really try to form teams that can divide and conquer and lean on each other. It's a different style of design, and it, and it takes a cultural education for our designers and our builders to come together. And rather than drawing lines between their work, blurring those lines and leaning on each other's expertise. And that is really important to drive down the waste and to trust each other to execute the project for each other rather than kind of staying in your own lane through these processes. Another point on waste in the process is really at the very early front end and planning. And I think this is important to bring up, you know, in many of our projects that we work with our owners in the early planning phases, we simply overprogram and we overbuild based on gut feeling or the loudest voice in the room. So something we've been doing is really pushing for the data in that early programming phase. What data do you have to show that you will have a return on investment, that you have the market share, that you have the growth plan to support this so that we aren't overbuilding. That's one of the best things that we can do to cut waste out of this process is not overdesign and not overbuild. We got to make the most of every dollar and we've got to make the most of every square foot. I mean, we've said that for a long time, but it feels like now that has a whole other meaning in terms of some of the things that you guys are talking about and some of the challenges kind of going forward. I think with that context, we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the specific projects that you, Ed and Jeff, are leading and how some of these trends maybe have informed some of the thinking on these projects. Jeff, you know, Atrium Health has multiple projects underway, including the recently opened Conlin Center at Carolina's Rehab, a number of community hospital expansions, and a large adult acute care expansion at your system's flagship campus, the Carolina's Medical Center, that will soon be under construction. Can you tell us a little bit about these projects and how you've approached them using some of these methods and some of this mindset? Absolutely. You mentioned the Carolina's new rehabilitation hospital, which was a, which was a replacement hospital rehab hospital that just recently opened at the beginning of this year and has been, uh, by all accounts, widely successful utilizing a standardized room, standardizing rooms, standardizing head walls for flexibility, standardizing these things so that also for prefabrication that we could minimize the waste that's often seen when you stick build, if you will, traditional stick build a project, not to mention to address the labor shortages on the skilled labor side where we can be more productive working off-site and bring them to the project. So the, the rehab hospital leverages this, this flexible room. Although it's not a ICU patient, we've taken that same room model and used it on our hospital that's actually getting ready to break ground at the 
CMC campus, the main campus, but we have other facilities that have also leveraged that same room model and helped us in, in a way of being able to prefabricate racks and prefabricate bathroom pods, pre, prefabricate many different elements, trying to, again, move the needle on waste and cost and speed to market. Ed, how about your project? Can you tell us just a little bit about the projects that you're leading and and how some of this thinking and some of the way that we're working together is kind of addressing some of these larger issues and challenges that we were just talking about? Yeah, we're focused right now on expansion of patient beds. As I said, we're woefully short in Oregon. So uh, the main project I'm working on right now is a new patient tower. At day one, we'll have 128 additional beds with the option of about 60 for more in the future, and then some clinic space. So it's a it's a pretty good sized building, about half a million square feet. The prefab market is is growing rapidly, but there's still some trepidation on how how much cost savings we can see. So we've struggled with that a little bit. But having our trade partners here day one, we've been able to do some things mostly around our MEP systems for prefabrication. So that's a, a great opportunity there. Jeff, you mentioned prefabrication and the scale at which you're all working as a system in terms of addressing some of the needs that you have in that geography. And the the general contractor and the team are, are very invested in that prefab process. So I, I was wondering how important the, I'll call it buy-in, but sort of the, the signing on of the architect, the general contractor, the frontline staff, you and your group, how important is it to have consensus on a prefabrication-oriented strategy at such a large scale to the kind of success of that strategy being implemented? We know there's value in that. We know there's value in that general contractor trade partner being in the room. Why is there value to the prefabrication? We've talked about the waste. And I'll tell you just how we accomplish it to some degree is by bringing all of our partners on board. When you take the data and you take the right mindset from a general contractor and trade partner, and you find all the benefits that are actually in there, because prefabrication is not necessarily cheaper. You're still buying parts and pieces. There's inherently maybe some added costs, but where you gain is on time. You, you gain on general conditions. You gain on quality. And so the buy-in from clinical to the design to construction all come together. Without those, you won't be successful. It'd be a great project. People say, hey, it's great when you open the doors. Or it can be they open the doors and say it's excellent. And it's a way of that's how we deliver healthcare across the system. To your earlier point about standardization as well, it seems like there's kind of a multiplying effect there potentially in terms of prefabrication, standardization, components that can be used across many facilities at different scales. Do you see benefits to that approach, kind of combining standardization and prefabrication together in terms of a mindset? Is there a, a benefit to thinking about those together or are they kind of separate things? I think they have to go together. I don't, I don't know how you do it without I think the the hurdle we have to face is this idea that when you're doing this, when you're standardizing, whatever it might be, bathrooms, headwalls, patient rooms, et cetera, there's this idea that you're losing the customization. You're losing the, the, you don't have the fingerprints on this anymore. And then the clinicians, nurses, et cetera, is it going to be the best? It, there's a hurdle of education for everyone that standardization, actually, it's a good thing and it's supported. And I'll tell you within Atrium, it's supported from the top down because they see the value and that we shouldn't be trying to recreate the wheel each time we bring design and construction teams on board. It, it's quicker speed to market, if you will. So therefore, the community's affected, impacted 
quicker and a positive way. So I don't know how you would do one without the other. On your project, you've you've also engaged this kind of early buyout strategy by contracting with trade partners during design, as you mentioned, coordinating and approving submittals during the design phase, and kind of making shop drawings as part of the approval of packages. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process, which is, as you mentioned, more about upfront coordination that pays off, you know, later on in the project? One of the bigger things you talked about is early purchase. So like most buildings, you build from the bottom up and a lot of the big equipment is in the bottom of the building. Traditional projects, you're finding ways to get chillers and generators in a building through the side of the building, all kinds of wonderful hijinks. Well, we're already on track to purchase generators, chillers, some of our big equipment, so we can literally put them in as we build the building. So those are huge impacts in costs. Of course, the generator sets there for a couple of years or the chiller while we're building the building around it, but the savings is immense. And manufacturers are getting much better about extending the warranties beyond substantial completion with less hassle. That's a huge advantage from our perspective. Molly, from your perspective, industrialized construction, prefabrication, kind of this collaborative process that really starts with the whole team early and getting to the issues early is sort of great in theory. From your perspective, what makes what makes a project a good candidate for this kind of thinking? Well, I'll, I'll split my response into two parts. So if we're speaking about integrated project delivery or an alternative delivery method, I'd say it applies to any project at any scale. And frankly, renovation projects can be some of the best candidates and are often overlooked. But understanding existing conditions and what you're tying into and what hides behind those walls you're about to tear down is pretty critical. So having your contractor on board for those projects is well worth the investment and brings a lot of value. If we are talking about industrialized construction and prefabrication, I'll change my response a little bit and say large-scale new construction projects with highly repeatable elements are where you're going to get the most value. If you're looking at remodeling a floor or an inpatient unit, sure, there are some elements that you can prefabricate, but getting the value out of that is going to be a bit more of a challenge. And the name of the game in making that successful is construction tolerances, because every room is going to be a little bit different and you're going to be working with unique dimensions that make prefabrication a little bit more challenging. So, you know, as we've been discussing, there's certainly no shortage of uncertainty in our world these days in terms of inflation and escalation and and like we talked about challenges just in general. I think it's important though that we sort of end this discussion on kind of a positive note, on sort of a high note around hope for the future. So I'd like to hear from each of you what makes you hopeful for the future. I think from just the uncertainty perspective, we're starting to see some leveling out of some of the craziness that's happened over the last few years with price pressures and and some of that. Obviously, there's some world events that could kick us in the teeth one more time, but we're seeing it kind of mellow out and and we're seeing that. But I think Molly kind of touched on what I think brought me the most hope, even though I'm in the waning days of my career. It's the change in mindset. I started in the very adversarial design bid build world where nobody trusted anybody. Owners didn't trust contractors and architects. Architects didn't trust anybody. And by the teams working together, Everybody sees how hard everybody works and everybody's starting to work for the common goal. And so what Molly said, we're breaking down those those lines of, no, no, this is mine to do. 
and the right people are doing the right things at the right times. And I think that's the best thing that can happen to the construction industry. How about you, Jeff? What, what gives you hope? Knowing that from one coast to the other, there's a similar approach and philosophy on how projects can function. And it's all around collaboration. If we bring those teams together, take the uncertainties out, take the guessing out of it, take the waste out of it, we're trying to then help maximize every dollar. If we can help with thoughtful design, that can help with throughput, that to me is, is hope. Molly, how about you? What makes you hopeful? Coming out of COVID and staring a potential recession in the face, I'm pleased to see so many major projects in, in the healthcare sector moving forward. You know, we're faced with aging populations and population growth in many regions, aging facilities and changes in care delivery that demand construction happen. There's not a lot of choice. So then it, it gets to the opportunity of how we move those projects forward. So the other hopeful, exciting thing on the horizon is how we deliver these projects. And, you know, we're just seeing a lot of change echoing what Jeff and Ed have said about how we approach these projects, more partnership, more collaboration, and that is going to lead to innovation, bringing different perspectives together and challenging them to think differently about the work that they do will lead to innovation. It will lead to good design, and it will lead to a quality project for our clients. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this episode of Uplift. Special thanks to our guests, Jeff and Ed. For more on this topic, you can visit our website at nbbj.com. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and spread the word. We'll see you on the next episode.